The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome, Mad Money fans. Jim is off tonight, but you are in luck. We've got a bonus hour of Fast Money coming your way, but with a twist. We are calling it the Fast Five. We are counting down the top five stories of the week. With us tonight, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, and Brian Kelly. Let's get straight to it. Coming in at number five, did Amazon just rewrite the countdown to Christmas? That's right. There are 69 shopping days left until Christmas, but the sleigh bells are already ringing, and that's because Amazon posted its annual Prime Day in October for the first time ever. The move sending other retailers scrambling to launch competing sales way ahead of the traditional start uh, to the holiday shopping season, which would be Black Friday. Seismic shifts, Guy Adami, to this calendar here. Seismic shift. Does it surprise you, though, Mel? I mean, you were starting to talk about the holiday season in June, and every year it just gets ratcheted further and further back. It's making me crazy. I submit, and maybe I'm, you know, old school, that there should be a moratorium on everything you just mentioned until after Thanksgiving, the Saturday after Thanksgiving. That, to me, is the official start of the holiday season. No, it's not Bob Humbug. <laughs> That's actually more holiday-focused uh, and more holiday-friendly than what's going on now. All that said, Amazon is rewriting the script, I guess in some ways good for them. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, we had sales from Walmart, Target during the week, Tim. What does that do to the pace of how consumers spend, especially in light of, of this weird environment we are in, which is an expectation of stimulus but no actual stimulus here? Well, we may be the land of misfit toys tonight, but there's no question that Amazon and Walmart are the leaders in digital sales growth and e-commerce growth uh, and acceleration of all of these trends, right? We spent so much time talking on Fast Money uh, about the trends that are being pushed forward, but that were already well in place. And, and look at the move year over year in e-commerce, 49% uh, as measured through last month. And as you go into the holiday season, it's going to be even bigger. Amazon, which is about 32.5%, at least if you read a report by Cowan, which I think is great work, goes to 38%, and, and they continue to take market share. And some of this is because of investments they made uh, months or years ago. But if you look at, at the holiday season, you can make an argument that Best Buy's already had a, a holiday season. We're going to talk about Apple tonight. Apple's maybe already had a holiday season. Back to school, learning from home, uh, to the extent that there's been a lot of money spent in the homes, and to the extent that that might have an impact on the holiday season. Who knows? Who cares? Did it start yesterday? It absolutely did. Yeah, you know what's interesting is I, I do think there is this shift here and it, just like everything else, you know, the catalyst here is COVID and it shifts something that was already happening. It reminds me very much of Cyber Monday, right? When we had broadband. So it, everybody used to go on Black Friday, rush into the stores. Then all of a sudden it was Cyber Monday. Why was it on Monday? Because people would go to work, they had a better internet connection. So therefore they would buy everything online. Then it switched to just all online. I think this actually could be the point that we, we look back and say, hey, you know what? COVID accelerated this trend towards things happening earlier in the year. 
much to Guy's dismay, uh, but I don't think it's just an Amazon development either. You know, Walmart and Target as well are doing it. I even find myself during this period of time, I used to order from Amazon all the time. There's been delivery issues, but a lot of other things. I find myself looking at other websites. So I actually think there's an opportunity for a lot of companies that have that real good e-commerce platform to take market share from Amazon during this time. Is, is there hope, Guy, for the likes of a Macy's, for, you know, the, the guys that sell no. the, the apparel? Well, this holiday season yes. might be different, right? You might be tired of buying pots and pans and, shall I dare to say, Dutch well, ovens. No, no. you can And, and no, buy, no, 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 buy no. scarves no. and sweaters no. and, you no. know, soft goods, if you will. Unless, unless Macy's can somehow recreate the magic of Miracle on 34th Street and somehow Natalie wow. Wood were to come back and reenact her role and all those cool things we saw at the end with the cane at the house le leaning against the, the door frame and the magic of Christmas. Unless any of that happens, which my sense is it won't, I don't think Macy's is all that viable. Listen. When I buy something online next, it'll be my first time. I think you understand that. And after this show, as you probably know, I was going to go wait online at the application store to hopefully um, pick up one of these Amazon things because apparently all the kill cool kids are doing it. With all that said, I mean, the days of the big box retailers, in my opinion, are dwindling. And I think what's happened over the last six months was in place long ago. This just sped it up, Mel. The underpinning, of course, to this is very strong retail sales numbers that we saw for the month of September, Tim. Um, and is that hopeful or did we just see the peak? Well, retail sales have been these, these have been uh, inconsistent numbers over the last couple of figures. And, and I think some of this has been tied into uh, tracking when stimulus ran out. Some of this is actually looking for uh, optimism around renewed benefits. But uh, look at the payroll numbers. Look at the jobless claims numbers. It's hard to get excited about where there is fundamental top-down support for the consumer. But, but again, I, I would argue that the consumer is reallocating uh, the household wallet. And, and yes, the household wallet in many households is not the same. In many households, uh, it is the same. And even for those where it's not the same, uh, a lot of expenses have been cut and reallocated. I, I just go back to Macy's. Um, Jeff Jeanette has done a great job in transitioning that business. And I, it's, it's not going to happen overnight. And this is not necessarily they're going to compete. But, but guys like Guy who are waiting in line at the application store still love the experience inside of Macy's but more importantly digital sales were up 53% that balance sheet has been fortress they raised some money they've got a billion three in cash and they got three billion uh, on the balance sheet in terms of accessible credit so while that story hasn't turned around look at any business that had to restructure and 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 was fundamentally broken before COVID and this is again has accelerated restructuring ideas and concepts that I think has made Macy's a stronger company coming out of this, even if their best days may be back with Natalie Wood. I don't know. Love Natalie Wood. Uh, Guy has his hand up, so I shall call on Guy. Oh, oh. <laughs> no, like I raised my hand because it's important. I would say there's a caveat here, Mel, as you probably know. If Macy's were to have a line, uh, for example, of Charlie in the boxes, uh, to Tim's Misfit Toys, then I would consider if they did like a whole land of Misfit Toys department, then G Swizzle is all over that. I think BK would come with me as well. Short of that, I ain't going to Macy's. Uh, Tim has his hand up, yeah, so the, I shall. The land, the land of the. T Tim, go ahead. So, well, sorry, really quick, Brian. Um, because Guy Adami has had every job in the book, I'm just wondering if he's ever been Santa. 
not not sure if guy have you ever dressed up in in the red outfit uh, I, yes, it's not typically during the holiday season, but I don't think that's necessarily appropriate right now. Okay. Another kind of show. Okay. All right. We'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. I, I, I think we've just proven that the land of misfit toys is here on Fast Money. We found it. We, we absolutely have. All right, one story down. We got four more to go, including the one tech company feeling the need for speed and some major flight delays. Fast Five is back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to the Fast Five. We are counting down the five big stories of the week. Coming in at number four, if you build it, will they come? Apple unveiling its first line of 5G iPhones. Pre-orders begin today, but here's the thing. 5G coverage in the U.S. is still spotty. Carriers could say they have a nationwide network, but it's just not as filled in as what they want. So, Guy, would you buy a phone whose feature, whose main feature is speed when you can't harness that speed? (laughs) You know the. I mean, the rhetorical questions are flying tonight, well, the, Mel. You know the answer. The, the fact no, that I'm posing it not. to you, too, is kind of ironic in and of I mean, itself, it speaks, but go ahead. It speaks volumes. So, so the CEO of AT&T Communications, Jeff McElfresh, I believe is his name, he, he, on Monday, I think, he came out and said, you know, hey, folks, um, just I want to tamp down some of the 5G expectations here. You know, I don't want to get you guys and gals ahead of your skis. It ain't coming anytime soon, I hate to tell you. I mean, Apple can roll this out all they want. I mean, I got one of these fancy TVs. Last night I was trying to watch a Dodger game, and it said you can watch this in like 4G or 4-something on this channel. And I hit the yes button, and it went, and it said this, your, your, use your, your ISP, look at me, doesn't provide this service. So what's the point? You have all this, you have all this um, high-end stuff, and it doesn't work. It's like if you have a Ferrari, but you don't know how to drive it, what's the point? That's what I'm talking about here with Apple. Yeah, they made a great phone, but they don't got the juice behind it. Some will say, BK, it's all about the long run, even though 5G is not entirely here right now. Yeah, I mean, so let's separate the, from, you know, stock price, which I would argue a lot of the hype coming into this phone is already in the stock price. I mean, if you're out there as an investor and you think you're just discovering that 5G is going to be a th- thing. You're not Tenzing Norgay or Edmund Hillary by any means. You're not the first person to walk this ground. So I would say if that's what you're in, if that's why you're investing in Apple, you probably should get a job at a car wash. That being said, Apple has a lot of potential in the future. If we're talking two, three years down the road, 5G is going to be a thing. People are going to upgrade their phones and people are going to start using more services. So for me, if I'm looking at Apple at these prices, I'm a profit taker going into year end, and then I'd look to build my position over the next year at, at opportunistic times. Tim? The story in Apple and the re-rating in Apple from 18, 19 times a year ago to 31 times forward has been more about services than it's been about hardware. 
uh, to the extent that 5G is a game changer. I, like listening to Guy talk about the technical problems he has at home while he's trying to uh, turn on his black and white TV that's as deep as it is wide doesn't make me feel as if we're really getting a technology update from the front. Um, I think when you think about Apple, you've got a story here where uh, 5G, okay, limited coverage, but there are a lot of people that will stay on the cutting edge. There are some arguments that 75 to 80, 80 million phones will go through a replacement cycle, but the real argument by analysts is this is an extended two to three, repla two to three year replacement cycle on an installed base of 600 million phones or more uh, on top of a services story. So uh, BK was being more of a trader, it sounded like, than an investor, even though I know he is both. Um, and I think that's kind of the story here. They're not going to ring the bell on Apple, and there's plenty of people that are going to hold it through this. Um, I think that there's going to be some difficulty with Apple uh, outperforming on the back of, of this release. I also think that they pulled forward a lot of holiday sales, and I think that they had back to school and iPads. But wearables, services are, are, are the, the dynamics here that are going to have Apple continue to hold this market cap, and I think it will hold this market cap. I don't think you get a huge opportunity, albeit uh, in the absence of a major market pullback, to get Apple a lot cheaper. I really don't think you do. Uh, you know, that's an interesting dynamic that Tim had mentioned, Guy, and that is all these people spending money on, on new Macs new iPads to get ready for, for the school year, to be prepared to be working from home, et cetera, and how much more money do they have to spend on a fancy new phone uh, that runs on a 5G network that is virtually non-existent here in the United States. Yeah, but we've learned, we've learned over the years, and I've learned this doing this show for the last uh, 37 years, that never <laughs> underestimate the U.S. consumers want to spend. They will always spend, and if there's new, the new flashy object out there, and they think they need to have it because their buddy has it, their friend has it, they'll buy it. And just to sort of interject quickly, uh, Tim should know that I recently took my Sony XBR, Trinitron XBR, out of the house, and it, it probably weighed close to 300 pounds. One of the most tedious, cumbersome, awkward things I've ever done, but I managed to get it to the sidewalk in one piece. Thank the question, you. Yeah, the, the the only question I have for you, Guy, I don't believe you carried that by yourself because it would have taken your entire family and your burly sons. But are you, how do you use your Sony uh, laser disc? And, and you know, what, do you, what are you doing with that? Um, I'm worried about you and outdated technology still in your living room. And I appreciate your concern. I was actually able to upgrade to the nano chip uh, microprocessor that that is able to use my laser disc right to the new flat screen that I purchased. So thank you for your concern, Tim. Bravo. Yeah, so guys, Zoom notwithstanding, <laughs> wrapping this up, I think it's more strategic here right now. You know, you talk about year-end, taxes could go up, capital gains taxes could go up next year. So I think strategically there's an opportunity. If you like Apple, I think you take your profits, pay your capital gains, and then start to get back into it. All right. Up next, the countdown continues. We've knocked out Amazon and Apple's big stories of the week. Uh, so well, what else do we have on tap? Yes, that was a clue. Stick around to find out. Fast Five's back in two. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. 
What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to the Fast Five. We are counting down the week's biggest stories. We'll get back to our countdown in just a second. But first, it's time for a fast break. Say goodbye to Tab. Coca-Cola is trimming its beverage portfolio and retiring the diet soda brand, which has been around since 1963. Guy, what are you going to drink now? You know, I've been around since 1963 as well, as it turns out. Mel, do you know what happened on April 23rd, 1985? My sense is you don't. I'm sure I many do, things have happened. Because I lived through ahead. it. Many things have happened on that day. But that was the day that Coca-Cola announced that they were changing the formula of Coke. Mm. And by July, they were changing it back to classic Coke. Mm. And if you recall the genius of that, whether they stumbled upon it or not, Everybody was talking about Coca-Cola. This is what I will tell you. It's a genius marketing ploy for a brand that nobody's mentioned in the last 30 years. Really? And it's going to roll out around November with Yukon Cornelius being the spokesperson for Tab. Watch. Wait, so this is a fake Tab death in your view. It's a marketing stunt. They will bring it back. Even though it has 0.1% of global diet cola sales. Mel, sir, I know Tim wants to get When did anybody ever met? Shepard Smith's going to come on. He probably hasn't thought of Tab in his entire life. And they're going to be talking about Tab on his show. I guarantee it. Everybody's talking about Tab now. It's genius. Tim, do you drink look, Tab? Look, of course I drink Tab. I'm a Tabaholic. <laughs> and, and there's some of us left. I, I mean, look, think about this. Um, I've been drinking Tab since I was sitting in front of my TV on Friday night watching uh, Hervé Villachez, a.k.a. Tattoo, on Fantasy Island. I mean, this, this is, it's, it's a bygone era. It's an era where things were simpler, where the Scarsdale diet kept us trim, where Tab kept us trim. We're, do, <laughs> we're doing whatever we can. Um, so I, I actually, sad to say, Guy, I think Tab is really on its way out the door, uh, along with Fanta and, and, and Fresca and, you know, Cot soda, cream soda. I mean, it, it's a sad day, but it's happening and should probably happen. Don't say Sorry, that I about, actually mean it. don't say that about Fresca. I love Fresca. Oh, of course Love you do. Fresca. But I mean, sa- saccharin is a sweetener for Tab. Yeah. It was made for, it was marketed for the beautiful people, Brian Kelly. I mean, this is definitely days of yore in terms for of Brian. marketing and, and the market it yes. appealed to. Thank you for coming to me when you're saying the beautiful people. I, I totally understand yeah. where you're coming from on that. And you know what? It is a little bittersweet. I mean, a little known fact about BK is back early in his career, he was a flight attendant for Braniff, and he lived on Tab and Freedet. <laughs> that was my total diet. And so it's bittersweet oh to see this go. I, I think... <laughs> I think Guy's point is interesting. We listen, we're spending 10 minutes talking about tab. That's quite a bit of advertising. I mean, (laughs) larger point is that (laughs) Coca-Cola is is getting rid of these zombie brands. Um, It's getting rid of Zico, the coconut water as well. Um, So is this, I mean, Tim, you've actually owned the company Coca-Cola as a stock. So yeah, let's, let's, 
<laughs> Let's talk about a proper tr transition for Coca-Cola, um, Atlanta's finest, and, and the move away from CSD, also known as carbonated soft drinks, uh, into vitamin waters and, and different types of sports drinks and nutrition drinks and wellness. Uh, and Coke, of course, they're going to be on, on the right side of that trade, and they continue to be. I, I, I love owning Coke. Uh, they made some major structural changes with their bottlers and, and their franchisees, and it's a case where uh, I think Coke is geared up and ready for the next tab, uh, and I'll be drinking it. <laughs> The next tab meaning the hit that will be tab or the disaster that it will have to kill decades later. <laughs> Kai. Mel, I'm just telling you now, when they come back in November, I want you to pay homage to me on air and say, you know what, Swizzle, tape. you were right, number one. I hope so. And number two, if I said to you, Mel, and I know BK and Tim this now, if I said to you, how about a fresca, what would you say? Oh. Where does that come oh. from? Oh, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Classic, Mel. Is that? I know you, I know you don't know. Miss it. The great oh, night gonna, from Caddyshack. My first reaction was, yes, please, I'll have a fresca. Can Noonan. I have it over ice? But I, you're referring to a movie line. Of course yes. I am. Anyway, sorry, yes. I'm sorry, fresca. Mel. I digress, mm -hmm. as usual. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me what it's mm -hmm. from, at least? Mm -hmm. Can you round this out so we can... We can go Caddy to Drake. Shack, the Come great on, Ted Knight. Watch the movie. Go to Blockbuster this weekend. Pick it up. Have the twins watch it. It'll be fantastic. You'll enjoy it. It's appropriate. We can go. We can go line for line on that movie right now. Too. I'm sure can, you we can. We can do the whole movie if you want. But to. that's another show that no one will watch. Up next, it is back to our <laughs> countdown. Two stories down, three to go. We've got our head in the clouds for this one. That was another clue. Fast Five is back after this quick break. Welcome back to the special edition of Fast Money. We're counting down the top stories of the week. Coming in at number three, expect some major flight delays. The CEO of United Airlines offering a somber outlook for the airline industry this week, saying, I think demand sort of starts to recover in earnest end of next year, beginning of 2022, and business demand getting back to normal in, I would guess, 2024. 2024. Tim, we have been talking about getting to the other side of this pandemic since the pandemic began. If the other side of the pandemic for the airlines is 2024 when it comes to business travel, perhaps their most lucrative segment, what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah, well, it means that maybe Brian Kelly will have retired from being a Bitcoin dominant player to uh, going back to being a steward again on, on Braniff Air, because that's a long time to wait. Uh, and if you think about normalized earnings in other sectors, we were really, uh, worst case, we were talking about 2022. The, the, the trade with the airlines is staying with the best balance sheets and, and the folks that have managed to, to have the most efficiency and flexibility uh, on their cost cutting. Those, those are going to separate. There were winners and losers going into this. There are winners and losers coming out of it. Hunter Kay at Wolf Research and there's smart people that come on our air all the time has had some really smart things to say about in the group you're going to see relative value and the minute you start to see separation instead of them all trading with a correlation of 0.9 um, that's a good time to start buying airlines because there will be outperformance we will see that we have seen that at other times I, I would just say right now Delta and Southwest are the ones you can own and I think you can own them until Brian Kelly goes back to putting on his steward outfit I, I think this is a case where um, I own airlines now I know they've been difficult charts uh, and some of them I've owned all the way through, some I've added to, and I have traded around a bit. But um, I think that those charts uh, actually look t kind of interesting. They've held up through some bad news. The, the guidance from the UAL uh, CEO, Brian Kelly, do you think he was just being conservative? Do you think people are really going to hold off for that long when it comes 
to flying. I mean, if a deal is to be made and the deal requires you to go meet somebody in Omaha, Nebraska, I bet as a banker you go and you will hop on that plane and go. Yes, but I think it's I think there's been a cultural shift where it is now fun. It is now socially acceptable to actually just do it via Zoom. So while I do think people will hop on the plane and more more importantly, I think for leisure travel, people will certainly be out there. I just think the business travel, uh, the business traveler has shifted. That's not to say there won't be business travelers, um, but the person who, you know, I mean, I used to hop on a plane and do a day trip to San Francisco. I think those days are over. This is going to be done via video conference and you'll still have business travel. It'll just be at a much lower level. So even if there is a recovery in 2024, I don't think it's going to look anything like it did in 2017. I feel like BK is in my head because he mentioned the Zoom. You know what made an all-time high today? Zoom. You know what the market cap of Zoom is? About $160 billion, which is probably more than all the airlines combined. Boeing by (laughs) itself is less than $100 billion. Zoom is telling you that the airlines have zero clarity. So they can say all you want. I do believe that business travel has been fundamentally changed in this country. We've learned that you don't have to go to San Francisco for a lunch unless you like the Peking Duck, one of the restaurants are serving, Melissa. I thought that you might say bouillabaisse or something like that um, for San Francisco. Or bouillabaisse. I mean, I like a good bouillabaisse Chapino, as well. I mean, perhaps, at the any. Fisherman's Wharf. Sourdough um, bread. All, all those things, all those things you can get in the fine city of San Francisco. Um, but, Tim Seymour, I mean, in terms of, of the airlines asking Congress for more money, When so many airline analysts we have talked to follow the industry so closely, say, you know what, these airlines do not need this money. Is that just for the prospect that things will be worse for longer? What are we seeing here when we see these CEOs go to Capitol Hill asking for more money? There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of different issues here. There's there's a lot of uh, call it painful, painful political issues as well, especially for airlines that were buying back stock and and on some level they're easy to attack and on some level this this really was a black swan event and although black swan events are what they are and you can look back and have seen them coming as part of that definition but but i I think for airlines uh, the fact that they are looking for more money on some level i think are the politics uh, around where they they look that money's going in one wallet and straight into uh, that of employees and on some level that's government stimulus and and, and to the extent that that's something that the uh, i think the the congressional constituents want to get behind i think that's the bigger issue i think i think there are airlines uh, and i think delta is one of them that have also said hey i don't need money at any price uh, there's a lot of airlines that of course want government handouts and don't want dilutive equity uh, or strings attached and I think you can't have it both ways and not all airlines are in a position to say that so again invest with the airlines that have the ability to say no uh, and if free you know if handouts come from the government they're probably coming from the government because they're political favors they're political handouts I should say yeah it, and it's kind of it's kind of interesting that Tim brings that up because I mean it's really fascinating how easy this money is out there is, is flowing into the airlines. Not to say that they're not important, but they're very important to Congress people that actually have to fly back to the constituents every weekend. Without the airlines, they would not be able to do their job. So I think there's a little bit of kind of, you know, self-reinforcing uh, activity going on there. Uh, but, but I agree, you know, if, we, if I look at what the airline uh, CEOs are telling us, 
four years from now, I don't know what the clarity is going to be. So, you know, if I'm an investor, I want to stay far away from the airlines. Yeah, and quickly, I mean, I'll be serious for at least a second here. There are tens of thousands of people that work in the industry that are losing their jobs. That's absolutely heartbreaking. That's something I think we can all agree upon. What I would push back and say, there are other ways for the airlines to raise money and to keep people employed other than going uh, with hat in hand to Capitol Hill and taking it from basically the taxpayers of this country. We can't continue, in my opinion, to uh, privatize gains and socialize losses. I mean, at a certain point, uh, there has to be some price to pay for not bad behavior, but not seeing um, potentially what's down the road. And people will say there's no way they could have seen this coming. I agree, but you have to prepare for a rainy day. And most of these airlines, if not all, spend a preponderance of their money buying back stock mm -hmm. instead of socking it away for the same situation that we find ourselves in today. I mean, at the risk of, of being added on Twitter, mm -hmm. I mean, some call this corporate <laughs> welfare keeping the airlines afloat at a certain point at a certain point there is that sort of moral question should you allow certain companies to go bankrupt that is happening across our economy not every industry is getting any sort of a bailout either with strings attached or no strings attached so why the airlines mm -hmm. and why why again tim well, because you know, they're, they're too big to fail. Um, there will be consolidation in the airlines, just, just to be clear. And, and uh, I do think that there's a case to be made that uh, the government's uh, going to need to at least protect some of that infrastructure. And, and let's face it, as it relates to air travel and the TSA and, and, and security and safety issues, the government's very involved in the industry and the government's employing a lot of people there, too. Um, so I think there's some balance here. Be, the, the hat in hand, as, as Guy points out, is not something that I think is terribly popular. Um, we've had different industries at different crises uh, that, that arguably you know, set the table for their inability to survive a, a period. And, you know, we can talk about where banks were the culprit uh, 20, 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think the case for airlines here is that the bottom line is that some of the airlines have already tried to do what they've needed to do to be aggressive on job cuts, pilot furloughs, and, and, and the things that actually mean the business will come back slower. But we're seeing that the business is going to come back slower. And that cash burns the most important point right now. Yep. Coming up, three down, two to go. We are getting closer to the big finale of this countdown. Find out which stories made the top two when this special edition of Fast Money returns. Welcome back. We're coming up to the top of the hour and the news with Shepard Smith. So let's get over to Chef. Chef, what's on tap? Uh, Melissa, I know Fast Money's a show all about trading and numbers, so I'm here to add a few more. Tonight on the news... We have our three big numbers, 18, 22, and 8. 18 is in the number of days until we get to the election. 22 million and counting, the record amount of people who've already cast their votes. And 8 million, the sad milestone we crossed just today in America with COVID cases. All of that and breaking news as it happens on the news, top of the hour, here on CNBC. Melissa? And of course, Chef, there's been a, an uptick in certain states in, in COVID cases. What more can you tell us about that? Utah is we're in Utah tonight. It's one of our focuses. They're just having a horrible time. The, a record ICUs. Uh, so many hospitals are getting full. Nearly 100 people have been admitted over the last 24 hours or so. The highest numbers they've had in three months. And Melissa, it's the kind of thing we're seeing in hot spots around the country. It's already established if there's a second wave or a third wave or a huge surge or whatever you want to call it, that's with us. The question is, how bad does it get? 
So we'll talk with a doctor tonight about what it's doing to hospitals and their concerns for our first responders. Top of the hour. See you then. We look forward to it. Shep, thank you. Shepard Smith. As Shep mentioned, cases continue to rise across this nation. That leads us to story number two in our countdown. We are tracking the treatments. Let's get straight to Meg Terrell, who's got the latest. Meg. Hey, Melissa. Well, we got some clarity on timelines for the front runners in the vaccine race today. That coming from Pfizer CEO Albert Borla in an open letter that they published where he really laid out what the FDA is looking for and what that means for timelines. So they need three things. They need to show efficacy, they need to show safety, and they need to show data on their manufacturing. Now, efficacy, they could have that data by the end of October in just a couple weeks, depending on the infection rates in the trial. But they need to have two months of safety data um, in order to file for emergency use authorization, and they anticipate getting that by the end of November. Now, Moderna is on a similar time frame, and those two months of safety data is specifically from when half of people in the trial have received both shots of the vaccine. They both reached that milestone at the end of September. So that's why we're talking about the end of November, potentially for them filing for emergency use authorization. They, of course, were the first vaccines into phase three trials. AstraZeneca started its trial in August. J&J started in September. Both of those remain on pause right now. AstraZeneca is a full clinical hold that's been going on for more than a month. Uh, J&J, we just learned on Monday, had paused their enrollment because of an unexplained illness in a participant. We have not gotten an update on that yet. It remains on pause. And of course, then on Tuesday, we learned that Eli Lilly's antibody therapy, that's a treatment for COVID-19, that was put on pause as well in hospitalized patients, an NIH study, uh, as they looked at sort of an imbalance between the people who got the drug and placebo. It's still not exactly clear melt there either, what mm. happened with that one. So we wait more details on both. And, and pivoting to Gilead, Meg, what, what is the status in terms of the WHO study, which um, shed some doubt over the efficacy of remdesivir as a treatment? This is a really interesting situation. So remdesivir, of course, was the first drug that we learned about to have a potential benefit for treating COVID-19. But this big study that just came out of the World Health Organization, known as the Solidarity Trial, is casting some doubt on that. Um, it essentially looked at remdesivir and three other drugs and found no benefit, at least in terms of saving people's lives once they're in the hospital with COVID-19. And now Gilead disputes these findings and even calls into question how the trial was run. Um, but there are certainly a, a lot of debates going on now about the utility of remdesivir, particularly as patients are so sick they're in the hospital. Could it be helpful earlier? Well, that's something people still want to find out about. Hey, Meg, it's Guy. This is more a reporter's question. You know, historically, these CEOs, all the people you talk to really have never had to discuss uh, trials uh, this early on and, and, you know, some of the ins and outs of these trials. Now, obviously, because of what we're dealing with, they're forced to do it almost on a daily basis. Do you find that they're struggling trying to explain what's going on? Has there been a learning curve for all the people you talk to? That's a really interesting question. You know, I think with these open letters that we've been seeing from these companies, you know, Albert Borla from Pfizer uh, publishing a few of them, Gilead's Dan O'Day has been publishing a lot of them since back in the spring when they were really the first company kind of out of the gate with remdesivir uh, with something that could help. Um, I think there is a message here to the companies that people want information, they want transparency, and the public as a whole is really learning about this process uh, in a way that you know we just never really had before because there was never so much interest in the clinical trials process. So now we're figuring out what does a pause mean? You know, what does it mean to have to get two months of 
of safety data and we'll get efficacy data first. All of these details are now coming into the communications with the public. And I hope the message that's being taken away by the companies is that more information is better and transparency is better too. Yep, Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell, who's been doing a great job keeping uh, track of all of this for us. Um, it, this is the first time that we've had a front row seat to the ups and downs of clinical trials. I mean, I doubt, BK, that you, even in your spare time, would pull out phase one clinical trial data and survey them, even if you were an investor in any of these stocks. And yet here we are. We learn of, of these results, even intermediate readouts of phase one trials, and it affects sentiment, whether it's consumer sentiment yep. or market sentiment. Yeah, it, it certainly does, and you're right. It, I, the last time I looked at a uh, stage one trial was a long time ago. In fact, I've never have looked at one. Uh, but the point, the point being is that it reminds me a little bit, you know, when we had all the TARP and all that, you actually saw how laws were made. Now you're seeing how drugs come to market. And, you know, as an investor and as a consumer, you have to kind of look at that and understand that this process is a little bit messy. It's probably not as normal as we think it is. But I actually think there's, there's a lot of space for optimism here. We've got the entire world focused on this one particular disease. Not only is it we're getting closer to a vaccine, but the therapeutics are clearly getting a lot better. Now, some therapeutics may work for some and may not work for others, but now we have a whole cast of drugs that potentially could go better. So if I look into 2021 and I say, there's gonna be some kind of a therapeutic, potentially some kind of vaccine, we're likely to get some kind of fiscal stimulus, that actually is a lot of room for optimism when it comes to both the health of the U.S. and the economy for the, of the U.S. Well, that's glass half full. I mean, glass half empty view of it would be we've rushed through all these treatments to bring them to the public for treatment. And looking back, perhaps they're not as effective as we once thought initially they were, Tim. And so the impact on the psyche is is huge and in terms of the vaccines. The FDA is requiring that at least half the people in these studies be monitored for two months for side effects. So that's that's a long road, even if yeah. the vaccine looks good initially. It's true. I, I, you know, I, I do think that the CEOs of these drug companies have, have been very cautious, very balanced, very rational with their statements about how you cannot rush science. Um, and to some extent, uh, while this was a disappointing week, this was a week where we also, as, as human beings, and understand that there is a process and we have the most sophisticated uh, pharmaceutical market in the world. And, and I think certainly a handful of both our U.S. pharmaceutical companies and Europeans are, are the leaders. And, and no one's going to bend uh, the rules or the process to, to get to a place where we need to go. What this week, uh, Glass F Empty told you, though, is those trends and those trades from the market from COVID-19 continue. Uh, we're not moving as quickly to a reopening trade and that you could make an argument that this is, as Shep was referring to, I don't, I don't know if this is second wave, third wave, we might be still uh, in the first wave in, in a lot of parts of the country. And I, I think that's really the story. To the drug companies, interesting to me, uh, Gilead, they're damned if they do, they're damned if they don't. Seeing downgrades uh, and lowering outlook based upon disappointments in remdesivir, mm -hmm. when this company was given, you know, basically one or two days of trading to the upside, but not necessarily rewarded for that. In fact, the stock um, was more or less trading near two-year lows. Um, I, I think you have to be careful about selling this one off. And in fact, I'm, I'm bullish on, on Gilead. I think ultimately uh, their immunomedics deal and what they're doing in oncology and some of their core franchises, uh, even in, in, in HEP and in HIV, which are, are falling because of their success, are still a foundation from which to own this. All right, coming up, the big reveal. Find out which story topped our list this week. And here's a hint. It has everything to do with the virus. We'll bring it to you when we come right back.
Welcome back to this special edition of Fast Money. We are counting down the top stories of the week. Topping our list this week, the stimulus stalemate. Still no relief deal, and now titans of industry are sounding off. Walmart CEO calling on Congress to pass a stimulus bill. Doug McMillan telling CNBC this week, doing nothing is not the first and best option. He added, Americans need some help. We also heard from J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon. He told investors a good, well-designed stimulus package will simply increase the chance we get better outcomes. Our next guest is a D.C. insider who believes a virus aid package may not get done until, get this, March. Kim Wallace is a fiscal policy expert, runs the KNW Group. He served as Assistant Treasury Secretary for Legislative Affairs under President Obama. Kim, welcome back to the show. Great to see you. You as well, Melissa. I don't think it can be disputed that the economy, that Americans need this help. So why can't anything be done until March? Well, right now, the two sides are locked in a battle over negotiating uh, between plans. The urgency to get something done has ebbed and flowed the last three months. And in the last two weeks, the president has changed his mind two or three times about whether or not he wanted a bill and what would be in the bill. Right now, I think both sides have decided that uh, electoral politics are too close uh, to try to hammer out a deal for fear of being billed a winner or a loser. I don't think it's more complicated than that. How does the fact that, that there is early voting now, you know, this election cycle, Kim, how does that factor into this whole sort of notion that there's, a, that there's electoral politics going on if Americans may have casted their vote already? Well, uh, Upwards of 20 to 30 million may have cast their votes, but mm -hmm. that means that there are scores of millions left to cast their vote. More importantly, perceptions matter a lot, and they certainly do in politics. Uh, both parties have elements that believe doing a deal on the terms of the other party right now is worse than waiting to find out what happens in the election and then waiting to find out when you can pass legislation. That may be the lame duck. But I think you'd have to have a lot go in one direction to have lame duck legislation. For example, um, if the Senate were to flip to D by a net five or six seats, meaning that the Alabama seats stayed in the Democrats' hands and Georgia or South Carolina or both moved over to Democrats, then Republicans might be willing to move something out if the economic fundamentals advised it. Hey, hey, Kim, it's Brian Kelly. So I'm curious, you, you mentioned the economic fundamentals. So you know, it seems as though that these bills tend to pass when either the stock market falls apart uh, or there's a real bad economic outcome. So where's kind of the pain point for these politicians? Um, what, what should we as investors be looking for? Uh, frankly, I find it troubling that they're haggling while, while Americans are hurting. But let's look at you know, what is going to get these politicians to get closer together on the economic and or stock market front? Well, economic fundamentals and the problem with that in terms of pressure for this year, Brian, is that uh, if we're going to have a collapse in the third quarter, more than likely we would know it by now and that would be motivational. It hasn't been motivational to the two sides yet. But interestingly, in the last segment, you mentioned TARP. You'll recall in 2008, in the third quarter, Congress came together in a bipartisan fashion and passed not only the TARP program for financial uh, assets, but also the Housing Emergency Assistance Program, two large bills. But they did those in the September timeframe. The lame duck session wasn't that impressive. And so 
my guess is unless you see a cratering, catastrophic events in the end of the third quarter going into the fourth quarter, um, it seems unlikely that the two sides are going to be put together to get a deal. Hey, Kim, it's Tim Seymour. Thank you for joining us. My question is, when you consider the swiftness in which the first stimulus package came out and how the Fed has thrown the kitchen sink at things, is, is the delay also, in addition to politics, is it, is it possibly an indictment on a failure uh, of the first stimulus package? And to some extent, um, there were a lot of inefficiencies there. There's certainly a lot of people gaming the system. Is there any sense that there's a fear that they just don't have the right plan in place? Tim, that's got to be part of it in the minds of some people. More importantly, I think, though, the size of the package that came through in the summer probably started to get uh, some members of Congress worried that they were throwing too much money around too soon without accountability. That has a lingering effect. But my sense is what's stifling the current negotiation, which has stifled it the last, honestly, the last two and a half months, are calculations around politics. You make a very good point, Tim that whenever, whenever Washington outlays a very large sum of money in a quick period of time, we're going to have inefficiencies at best and fraud at worst. Some of that has been uncovered. I'm sure it's making some people pull back from another bill, at least temporarily. Kim, always great to speak with you. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Melissa. Have a good weekend. You too. Kim Wallace, KNW. Uh, Guy Adami, we started this hour talking about Amazon, talking about the strong consumer, the blowout retail sales numbers that we got this morning. Um, so what does that tell you? I mean, that the economy may be faring okay despite no stimulus or that we're in for a shock? Yeah, I, listen, I don't let's not. And I know we say this all the time. Let's not confuse the stock market with the economy. There are a lot of people out there hurting and they look and see a, a records for the stock market and they're saying, how can it possibly yeah. be given what we're doing right now? I mean, it's it's actually heartbreaking in terms of, you know, mentioned Doug McMillan. Of course, he wants something done in the stimulus front. He runs the biggest retailer on the planet. I get what's going on here, but that's been BK's biggest concern all along. The stimulus package not going through. And I think that's probably the market is underestimating that. Is there any uh, thought, BK, that even March might be optimistic since you were skeptical the whole time? I, I, yeah, I mean, listen, I think March would be a real problem for the stock market and probably more importantly, real problem for real Americans who have lost their job and can't put food on the table. Uh, but in terms of the stock market, it has not priced in, in my view, it has not priced in a March or later delay in the stimulus. Yeah, I mean, the concern here is that the real problem for the economy may happen just around Christmas as we head into the holiday season, Tim. Look, we, we heard from banks also this week and, and, and the trends that these gents are talking about also in terms of Main Street. Um, you know, part of the weakness here is, is that, that banks are, are reflective of Main Street. And if you think if you listen to those some of that lending uh, and to the extent that there was very disappointing lending and it wasn't just commercial lending, it was certainly mm -hmm. uh, on, on the on the individual basis. Mm -hmm. uh, take a look at that as well. All right. That was fun, guys. Thanks. I think I'll have a fresco now. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for watching the special bonus hour of Fast. The news with Shepard Smith starts right now. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. 
the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.